Too Good a Housewife by Anna Cora Mawit Ritchie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. What a lovely-looking bride was Rhoda Fielding! What a spring-like aspect she had! What an embodiment of bloom and freshness she seemed! That round, smooth face, tinted like an apple-blossom, that furless brow, somewhat too low and narrow, but redeemed by rich clusters of chestnut curls, those cloudless eyes and velvety lips, theirs was the beauty of untried youth. Beauté du diable, as it is too expressively called by the French. Then Rhoda was so artless, so frank-hearted, so unsophisticated, just what Edmund Fielding most admired in womanhood. Charmed by the glittering surface of the stream, it was but natural that he never dive beneath, to note what shells or pebbles lay within its channel, ready to be cast up by the surging tide of matrimony. He had yearned for the first pure, uncalculating affection of a guileless maiden, and that he had won. A man of cultivated mind and highly intellectual taste, he expected to find in his youthful wife a plastic, genial, and appreciating companion. But whether Rhoda's mental attributes and the precepts instilled by a very ordinary mother had fitted her for such companionship were questions he never asked. That mother had but one distinguishing characteristic. She was a thrifty and notable housewife. In all other respects, the term commonplace described her so fully that her portrait can demand no additional touches. Rhoda was flattered by Mr. Fielding's election. She admired his tall and handsome person. She was proud of his acquirements and the slight touch of awe with which his stately manners and evident superiority inspired her only heightened her affection for womanlike her heart was stirred by an irresistible impulse to look up fondly to what was higher than herself to love what she could lean upon as stronger and cling to as worthier the newly married pair were starting on their wedding tour as I bade them adieu. Four years rolled on before we met again. Rhoda was now the mistress of an imposing mansion, pleasantly located in one of our largest northern cities. The drawing-room, which I entered to await her appearance, had the air of cold luxury rather than habitable comfort. Costly chairs and sofas stood primly ranged against the walls, looking as though they forbade you to stir them. A few albums and show-books were laid in a set way upon the center table, but no volume that appeared as though it were ever read was visible. Though I had called at the usual visiting hour, some time elapsed before Rhoda ascended from the lower domestic regions where she had been occupied by her menage. She saluted me with, I'm right glad to see you. I was so busy I didn't mind being interrupted by you. 
this assurance rather discomposed me for it suggested a doubt which would not have otherwise intruded itself upon my mind rhoda ran on this housekeeping takes up so much time you know and i always look after things myself I placed in her hand a bouquet of fragrant freshly gathered flowers you're very good she said taking them in a half careless half reluctant manner there was no expression of pleasure in her tone and her doubtful look at the floral offering communicated a secret misgiving that had not politeness withheld her she would have flung the odorous blossoms out the window she fidgeted a moment then rose hastily and with considerable bustle procured a glass of water remarking as she inserted the stem i don't usually allow flowers in this room they're such untidy things they drop about so and make such a litter as she spoke she carefully gathered up the fallen leaves of a full-blown damask rose and threw them into the street with an action which seems to say unclean her mien impressed me with a fear that even thus through over-solicitude she had cast the flowers of her life away and left the bare stalk of utility unadorned by the foliage of taste or or the bloom of beauty there was a working-day air about her too strongly en avadance her dress was simple and serviceable but it lacked the tastefulness which makes simplicity charming her hair was neatly arranged but becomingness evidently had not been taken into consideration with the freshness of her countenance much of its loveliness had passed away what remained was obscured by total disregard of accordant colours and graceful arrangement of drapery her olden look of frank inexperience was displaced by a careworn fussy expression her buoyancy changed to restlessness you saw at once that she magnified the most insignificant molehills in her path into mountains of trial and veritably had become a female don quixote battling with domestic windmills just as she seated herself once more beside me the loud yell of an infantine voice made her start up and exclaim that's jim he has knocked his head again he's always knocking that dreadful head of his he'll be the death of me and she rushed out of the room by and by she returned dragging after her a robust little boy whose shining face and moist hair testified to a recent hurried ablution i told you jim had knocked his head he's always knocking his head or cutting his fingers or lighting papers in the fire and nearly burning himself and his little sister up i never get a moment's peace with the two have you no nurse then i asked oh of course i've a nurse but i've no faith in servants i never trust them as to their having any idea of responsibility it's out of the question as she spoke a neat-looking irish girl appeared at the door and said baby's awake mum may i take her up no don't touch her exclaimed rhoda almost fiercely i'll see to her myself excuse me a moment and off she flew again with master jim making desperate plunges at her gown and roaring lustily as he pursued her the interval that now elapsed seemed very long 
I earnestly desired to have a pleasant chat with Rhoda, to ask her numberless questions about herself, her husband, our mutual friends, but the object of my visit seemed likely to be frustrated. At last Rhoda reappeared with a plump, cherry-cheeked little girl in her arms. She did not exhibit baby with that proud maternal delight which it is always beautiful to witness, but as though she felt overwhelmed by the cares and troubles of motherhood and quite unconscious of its joys, she told me what dreadful nights she had passed with her infants. She recounted all the horrors of teeth-cutting, described the numerous infantine diseases by which the young ones had been attacked, illustrating the effects of the various treatments by biographical anecdotes, related what difficulties she had encountered in keeping the scapegraces tidily dressed, mourned over their unreasonable proclivity to soil bibs and tear frocks, and lamented their unnatural proclivity for dirty hands and daubed faces. The history of her nursery grievances had evidently not reached its climax when Master Jim rushed into the room, bawling out, Ma, Cook says she wants more butter for the pudding, and she wants you to know the coal's nearly out. Dear me, dear me, how annoying, ejaculated Rhoda, with a face as full of distress as if she had learned of some actual calamity. What cartloads of butter that Cook uses, and what a quantity of coal she burns. I'm always talking to her about the fire. It's blazing hot, I warrant, at this blessed moment. You must excuse me a moment. I'm glad to see an old friend, you know, but household matters must be looked after. Business, as men say, business before pleasure. I'll be back in a minute. Away she went once more, and I heard her calling to the nurse to relieve her of the baby. A loud shrieking announced when the exchange was made, and that was followed by a more vigorous exercise of somewhat older lungs. Master Jim must have again indulged in that constitutional propensity for knocking his head. Then I could distinguish Rhoda's voice pitched in a high key. It sounded very like scolding. And how shrill that voice had grown! It was positively discordant, and we used to all think it so sweet. Another longer interval ensued, and then Rhoda entered the room once more, panting from her exertion. She was in the act of putting her purse, pencil, and tablets in her pocket. "'You see, I put down everything I spend,' she began, without apologizing for absence. "'And such a time it takes me. What with the children and the servants and the housekeeping, I've enough to do. I get no time to myself.' not even to read a little now and then i ventured to suggest oh dear no i never get a chance to open a book edmund does all the reading he complains bitterly that i don't keep up with the literature of the day men are so unreasonable you know as if i had time for literature with a house and four servants and two children but might he not read to you in the evening that's just what he proposed, but I'm called out of the room so often it interrupts him, and it makes him nervous, and then I've so much cutting out and planning to do, besides sewing, that I can't listen. Then Edmund's always plaguing me 
to go with him and hear some lecture or go to some concert or somewhere or another but it's quite out of the question i can't spare the time but he can't understand it you know men never have any thought he says he wishes i'd hire another servant and so be able to go out with him now and then isn't he unreasonable as if i hadn't servants enough to plague me then you know men are so selfish would you believe it while i'm slaving at home he actually goes to places of amusement without me and he says he needs recreation but the idea of tormenting me to engage another servant why do you know my kate and martha both have followers and i had to go down yesterday evening and turn the men out of the kitchen of course these followers get their supper here and that's the reason there's always so little cold turkey left and the hams don't last longer rhoda rattled on in the same strain as long as my visit lasted the rule and guardianship of her house and children wholly engrossed her mind absorbed all other ideas i talked to her of our old friends she had not seen them she had no time to visit i related what had occurred to this one and that she scarcely listened to the information i spoke of music of which she was once so fond her sweet singing mr fielding had especially admired she had quite given up music she said she never sang except to put the children to sleep i tried to turn the conversation to topics of the day rhoda might as well lived in kamchatka for all she knew about them i sought for a subject after subject that might interest her but with no success her thoughts could not wander out of the little narrow sphere of her household and yet only dwelt upon its vexations not its blessings its responsibilities not its comforts other visits brought but a repetition of the incidents of this i saw mr fielding he looked dissatisfied desponding disheartened the instant he entered the house rhoda invariably poured into his ears a long history of her domestic bothers made up of complaints about the smallness of the loaves brought by the baker suspicions that the butcher cheated discoveries that the cook sold the drippings vexations at the breakage of the china fall by a minute account of the misdemeanors of the servants the naughtiness of the children the accidents they had met with during the day the number of knocks received by master jim's head being religiously counted and rhoda's own fears for their health and morals if after a series of patient and considerate replies her husband ventured to introduce other topics she charged him with a want of feeling and disregard of her troubles or else paid no attention to what he was saying she met his entreaties that she should walk out with him by saying that she had shopping to do and would go if he would promise to be very patient the walk only extended half a mile down broadway yet it consumed three hours chiefly passed in shops marriage had been a bitter disappointment to mr fielding he had looked for a companion and found a housekeeper and a nursery maid Rhoda could not comprehend that he needed the society of one who could sympathize with and appreciate him, and that men demand appreciation almost more than they desire affection. 
she believed herself very thoughtful of his well-being and honestly considered that she discharged her duty towards him by keeping his house in order no matter through what scuffing and scrambling by superintending the cooking of his meals and being irreproachable on the linen button and stocking question as a natural sequence of his mistake mr field will in time seek his pleasures away from home and grow more and more independent of his wife's society she will feel herself neglected and join that large band of female railers who denounce matrimony and bemoan the miserable fate of wives in general and their own destiny in particular and should she be asked the reason for this change in her husband's sentiments towards her she would probably answer with the air of an injured saint that it will all be because she was too good a housewife end of too good a housewife read by kelly 